what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. This is our ongoing film review and discussion show put on by Foot Candle Film Society and here the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am one of the directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And across the table from me, Chris Fry, the other director in both of those roles as well. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing fine. Hello, podcast listeners. Yeah. We've got a couple of uh, great films to discuss for reviews today. Uh, some new films, some big films that we'll be discussing. We will be reviewing the films No Time to Die, which features a character named James Bond. Not sure if you're familiar <laughs> with him, but he's kind of an up-and-coming fictional character in the movie world. And we're going to review his latest entry. Actually, it turns out there's 25 of those films. So I oh. uh, go figure. So we're also going to talk about Halloween, which features Michael Myers. I don't know if people know who that is either. Right. Michael Myers. Yes. He's kind of new in the horror world. He is. He's up and coming there as well. <laughs> we're just we're, we're, we're talking about some breakthrough characters that are just <laughs> trying to get some attention in the world right now. Right. Uh, Michael Myers from Halloween Kills. We will be reviewing that film as well here momentarily. So after those two reviews, we'll have some movie news to share with you. And then we'll end the show with our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out that we recently caught up with or were reminded of. But Chris, we've got a lot to cover. So how about let's go right into our first film review, which is the latest James Bond film. And it is No Time to Die. Bond, any thug can kill. I have to know I can trust you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. You are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Is this really what you want? Always alone? So, Chris, I consider myself a little bit of a James Bond aficionado. Okay. So, I have watched the James Bond movies since I think I can remember watching movies at you, whatever Have you age. seen all of them? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I have seen all 25 films wow. in one way, shape, or form. Gotcha. Um, you know, definitely the Roger Moore years were kind of my more formative years when I was growing up. I remember that more, but then I did spend time going back and seeing all the Sean Connery films and really enjoying those. I find some level of enjoyment from all the James Bond uh, iterations that we've had. Um, I really liked actually what they did with Pierce Brosnan for the most part for a couple of films. And now with Daniel Craig, obviously the, these last five films, which that's what he's actually done so far and will have done because he is officially leaving the franchise. He has said, um, 
With these five, they definitely would try to go for a little more of a grounded, more grittier James Bond than they've gone in the past. But here we are at the fifth film, No Time to Die. They bring in a new director, Kerry Fukunaga, and he uh, helped bring about the story of James Bond, who has left active service. Uh, we find him at the beginning of the film, no longer a 007. Uh, but then he gets hired by the CIA, of all people, to help on a mission, which kind of spirals into a much larger story that brings him back into connection with MI6, as well as some some old haunts, some old um, characters kind of coming back to him to some degree. And uh, Rami Malek as the villain. So, Saffron. Uh, Saffron. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, with this, I, I know I'm a bigger fan of James Bond movies than you are. Yes. Um, and I, I, going into that, I did go into each of these films with a little more anticipation. And just, I know what I'm getting into with James Bond films. I know what I'm looking for. I know the formula that's going to be hit. And my question is always just how much are they going to tweak the formula or how well are they going to play into it? Um, so let me ask you this, Chris, not being the James Bond fan that I am, um, but you probably having some level of intrigue. I think you've, I, I've got to guess, have you enjoyed at least a couple of the, uh, of the Daniel Craig films, you know, more than maybe the average James Bond film? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Okay. Yeah. So like Skyfall, probably. I think you probably think, enjoyed Skyfall. Yeah. If you, yeah. Of the Daniel Craig era. Um, I would say that's definitely my favorite would be, so I guess that tips my hand a little bit because no time to die was his last one. But, um, yeah, Skyfall is definitely the, the peak of James Bond for me, especially during here. Actually, I guess it would probably, I'd probably say it's my, not that I'm a bigger fan of all the other ones. Cause yeah, I could take or leave them, but yeah. So Skyfall is kind of the, the high water mark yeah, for me. Seeing Casino Royale, which was Daniel Craig's first one is actually, I don't know if I say it's my favorite James Bond film. Cause I think I can go back and more of the classics, kind of always have a warmer spot in my heart. But as far as more recent films, Casino Royale, I think is the best James Bond has been in quite a while. Okay. I I like Skyfall as well. I thought that was really good. So here we are. No time to die. Chris, let me ask you, um, this being Daniel Craig's last outing as this version of James Bond. uh, How did you think the film did in kind of uh, setting up his legacy and how he's going to be remembered as this character in the years to come? So, you know, it's, it is kind of a sprawl. It's hard to talk about just this film without kind of referencing the other films in the Daniel Craig era, the other four films. And, and I should note, I think this is the first time that a James Bond series of films have kind of been woven together with a more overlapping story where all the other James Bond versions, I mean, maybe there's a few little carryover points from one movie to another, but there's never been a large story that kind of covers multiple films. Which so. that's kind of interesting. That's kind of was my confusion. I I started watching No Time to Die in the theater and I was like, wait a second. I had seen Spectre, mm-hmm. but I didn't, you know, I just knew like, oh yeah, it was a movie. I remembered who the bad guy was. I remembered that Leah Seydoux was in it. But other than that, like that, and I didn't think I needed to do homework to mm. see no, no time to die. And then when it started off, I was like, wait a second. There was like jumping in timelines and stuff. I'm like, okay, clearly I should have watched Spectre again before I sat down to watch no time to die. Now that said, I was, you know, did get up to speed and was okay with where I was, but I was never expecting the, uh, no time to die to kind of be its own or the James Bond films to be their own like BCU, the Bond cinematic universe, mm-hmm. as opposed to like the Marvels. Cause you know, it's like, yeah, Marvel movies is like, okay, I need to know where this film ended up because this is going to be referencing things. So 
that kind of took me by surprise. Um, but that said, I guess kind of refreshing that they're trying to do more than just make like these one-off movies where mm-hmm. a guy looks good, walks around, shoots people, and then at the end the world's saved and then you go on. Like you're saying, these films were aspiring to be a little bit, little bit more. So mm-hmm. I did like that. Um, that said, did this reach, reach the high water mark of um, Skyfall? No. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that was like the perfect one. And I think the thing for me was this whole time, this film, I felt like was wearing on its sleeve. Hey guys, this, this is it. We're mm-hmm. ending it. It was like, it was self-aware that it was going to be the last film for, Dan- for the Daniel, for Craig Daniel era. Craig and for, yeah. So it was kind of like, I don't know. It was like this slow build of like monumental tensions. And then I will say, um, I have watched various other incarnations of bond. Mm-hmm the way they gave a send off to Daniel Craig in the final moments of this film was not what I would have expected in my wildest dreams. Um, so I do applaud them for that. Now that said, which we can, you know, get into other parts about the film and what you thought about it. Um, you referenced in your opening that he had no longer had the 007 title. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't follow because I'm not the big bond fan that you were. I was not aware that it had been teased on the internet that uh, Lashana Lynch, I wasn't even aware of who she is. I think I've maybe heard her name before, but that she was going to be in this film. Not only that, but apparently a lot of buzz on the internet, she was going to be 007. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I thought that was interesting. That was new to me. But then I was kind of disappointed that they kind of let that lapse a little bit. I was like, yeah. oh, man, now where could they go from here? I don't know. But I'm, I'm interested to hear your, your uh, thoughts, Alan. What were your, what's yeah. your reaction? I, um, I, 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 I like this film. Okay. I had a good time with it. Um, do have a lot of misgivings, a lot of issues, a lot of, a lot of concerns. But overall, as I look at, especially, I mean, I didn't think Spectre was that entertaining or that memorable. Um, quantum of solace was his second one. I definitely didn't like that one. Okay. So his whole run has been peaks and valleys and this is on the higher side. I think this ended up higher. Um, not as good as casino Royale, not really as good as skyfall, but I felt so like it's kind it had of a, a lot. third. Yeah. But okay. it had, you know, it was a middle of the ground. Okay. Um, there was a lot of moments I liked. There were some moments I didn't like, but overall I think I still came away feeling like this was a pretty good bond entry. You're right. It, it, it did play up the send-off mentality of the whole film, maybe a little too much. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I like the fact that I actually felt like there were stakes in this Bond film, which I don't mm, normally true. feel. You normally feel in a Bond film, okay, it's James Bond. He, you know, everything's great. Um, you know, Bond, everything's Bond's going to win in the end. Everything's going to work going, out. And it's right. just going to lead right into the next movie. And this one had a little bit more going for it where they said, no, we want this to be some closure. We want this to be some, we want there to be some stakes in the film. And there were, and I liked that. That was like the first time I can remember James Bond actually having some gravitas with what the plot was trying to do and where the film was going to end up. Um, that being said, um, you know, the, the film of all the Daniel Craig films, this one has leaned in more to the goofy side of James Bond. Of the Daniel Craig of the era. Daniel Craig yes. movies, okay, um, like because some they jokes were so. And stuff or? The first few films are so much about grounded, more reality, more gritty, and just uh, you know, 
yeah, Bond had some quips here and there, but it was never like rapid fire humor. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. This film, I was surprised, leaned in a lot more with the one lungers and with the off the wall, over the top sets and uh, big villain doomsday devices. I mean, it's just, it was more than I've seen in the last four films. Right. I kind of liked it because it was kind of a little more throwback. I mean, mm. Even I'll say this, even the closing credits, uh, not spoiling anything, but the closing credits actually plays an old James Bond theme song. It's actually the one Louis Armstrong did mm. from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Wow. Which obviously they were doing that to say, look, we, we, we are kind of acknowledging the whole James Bond legend. And this film, I felt like, tried to throw in all the different elements to say everything you liked about John, James Bond whether we, you got the grittiness if you like the more recent films, but right. if you like the over-the-top crazy plots and big, we're going to kill everybody in the world, the villains like trying to destroy everybody, we got that for you too. Oh, and look at this big set where the villain lives and his big base. Oh, isn't it crazy? <laughs> I think they're really trying to play all angles. It works fine. It doesn't work consistently. Okay. Um, there are ups and downs with the film, but overall, I had a good time with it. I thought... It was. You well thought it was a film. satisfying end to the <sighs> fairly Daniel satisfying. Craig era. Fa- okay. Yeah, fairly satisfying. Um, I still, <laughs> just like with most Bond films, I still don't really understand the plot of what the villain's trying to do and how. <laughs> um, and right. even the ending doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay. Even I'm, my my son and I were trying to rationalize the ending on the way home. It just, it's never crystal clear, but I don't think that's why you go into watch a James Bond movies to perfectly figure out the, the villains machinations of how he's going to destroy the world. You know, you just kind of go with it. So, um, I, I had a, I had an okay time with the film. Um, I wish it was a little better, but it was okay. It was fine. I think it's, if you're a James Bond fan, I think you'll find enough to enjoy out of it, but I, I don't think going in expecting it to be what I think are, Casino Royale, Skyfall, some of those high water marks in recent years, it's not going to hit those for you. So, sure. I, I thought, I, I thought it was an interesting send off and they had been trying to kind of retool bond, like you say, and make him more gritty. And this was kind of leaning back to kind of the old a school. A little bond. campier And actually times, the old, yeah. ski, old, like style bond with the little campy stuff. That was the stuff I never really cared for. Yeah. So that's why I never really, and honestly, the fact that every bond film did seem to be kind of like a TV movie where it's like, yeah, you, you don't have to see him in order. It doesn't matter. It's just like, you know, it's kind of like the movie of the week. You know, yeah. you just, okay, he fights this criminal. It's over. It doesn't matter. And that's what I found refreshing about these five films is that you did. And I didn't realize how much, obviously, like I said, because I had forgotten Spectre because I like you wasn't that big on it. But then I realized, mm. well, I needed to remember it because I need to know what's going on. Um, so well, I like that I mean, better. I, I th- but, but I think to be to be fair to anybody who hasn't seen the film, the only thing you need to understand is that James Bond is in love with a, a woman that is from a previous film. That's true. And that if you remember from Casino Royale, there was a woman that he met, Vesper, that he was also kind of more of a first love for him in this series, and she died. I mean, that <laughs> happened five movies ago. <laughs> right. That's really all you need to know with it. I mean, everything else, I think they do an okay job of saying, all right, like, you don't need to get too deep into it. Yes, there's the Blowfield, the villain played by Christoph Waltz. If you know a little background on him, it's helpful, but I don't think it 
keeps you from enjoying the film if you don't know his background in the film. He plays a part, but it's a part that I think is fairly standalone and doesn't, you know. Well, and I think that was my problem with, you've kind of alluded to Rami Malek and his role as Saffron, or Safin. Um, so Blofeld, to me, was the most interesting part of yeah. Spectre. And I don't feel like he was yeah. in it enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then with this film, the fact that he's in it some, and he the parts that he does play are really like kind of cool. Yeah. But then that kind of sets kind of sets poor Rami Malik up to well, fail because it just I don't yeah. feel like he was given enough and he was so I feel like honestly it was all like in the character writing. He was kind of made out to be very cartoonish. And that's what it, I, he ended uh, up being. I did not like good. the villain. Okay. I did not like Rami Malik in that role. I did not like the villain as a whole. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I just I just did a Dr. <laughs> a Seuss. Dr. Seuss. Um I uh I felt like he was miscast. I'm not okay. saying Rami Malek's a bad actor. I, I like him. Um, I think, I, I just don't think he had the gravitas that was needed for this role. Gotcha. This is the last villain of this Daniel Craig, James Bond. And he's supposed to be the one that's kind of been a little more mastermindish, you know, throughout the series in a way. And yet they play him as a pretty, what's very typical as these big bad guys now is you get somebody who's very unassuming. You get somebody with a kind of a real softer voice and more menacing, but, but not being overly menacing, just more like subtle. And yeah, Rami Malek played that part, but it was just a boring villain. Hmm. And I'd much rather would have seen Blofeld play a much bigger role in the film than, than this one. Uh, Yeah. I'm on the same um, page with that. And plus, yeah. Trying to do the math on the ages. That so bothered me. Yeah, yeah. The age they, doesn't they show, work. They show him right. in the beginning as kind of a flashback. And it's supposed to have been like 15 Great. plus he's years got a, ago. He's got a mask yeah, on. Yeah, but still. It was supposed yeah. to be like 15 to 18 years ago. And I I don't buy it. So that threw me out of the film quite a bit. Yeah. And um, so overall, I just don't feel like the, the, the villain worked. Okay, um, that, fair enough. That was one one issue for me with it. Um, but otherwise I like the other characters that we had. I mean, Elias Cedillo, I thought was still really good as mm-hmm. Madeline. Uh, we have Anna de Armas who played, uh, is only in the film a little bit, which I think a lot of people are kind of surprised by. She's kind of was touted as being like a big player in the film and she's in a, like a 15 minute sequence, right? But she was fun. I liked her character in the film. So I thought that was good. Ray Fines as M I thought also very good. Uh, you mentioned LaShonda Lynch, who you may recognize from uh, Captain Marvel. So she was okay, um, that's where okay. Brie Larson's friend kind of uh, in the film. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, LaShonda Lynch as Nomi, the new 007. Yes, I think. Uh, also, all of them really good. So I like the supporting cast. I like all the players. Rami Malek, I just thought was miscast. And I wish the villain had a little more had, had a little more unique uh, style to him than trying to mimic what we've seen in so many other villains in recent years. Yeah. I'll echo that the supporting cast I really like. And I feel like if this was, which, you know, they're not, they've already talked about searching for the next, you know, bond or whatever. Um, but if this was the last bond film, I felt like they gave Daniel Craig a good send off. And they also did a good job with like, you know, Ray Fiennes as M. Mm-hmm. Ben Wishaw as Q, Danny oh, yeah. Harris as Money Penny, Jeffrey Wright as Felix, you know, yeah. kind of a, mm-hmm. an acquaintance of Bonds who he keeps running into. And I felt like the way they use those, 
I guess sometimes you feel like, oh, well, they got to have Money Penny in this because it's like, you know, it's a bond that we have to at least see or reference her. But I didn't feel like they were like shoved or forced no. in. They were woven in so that it worked. They and all had nice, had like and they all had their it. nice moments. They all yeah. had their key scenes. I think it was, it was a good, um, what do you call it? The, um, where's a whole cast? Um, good. Ensemble. Ensemble. Yeah. There you go. That's sure. the word I was looking for. Uh, so that's no time to die. I had a, Pretty good time with it. Can I ask you one quick question to see if you point out something? This is very minor and should not affect anybody's enjoyment of the film in any way, shape, or form. But okay. I'm just more curious. So the composure of the film, uh, the music was Hans Zimmer. Okay. Yes. Um, there is a moment in the film, uh, actually several moments, several minutes in the film, where a score is used oh, interesting. from a different movie. Really? I mean, so noticeable that both me and my son, and granted, he pays more attention to scores because that's kind of yeah, what he wants sure, to do. Sure, sure, sure. But we both look at each other when the score plays and like, what are they doing? Hmm. Hans Zimmer actually pulled a score from another one of his films. Hmm. And it's from the Dark Knight films. I was going to guess just because, yeah. you know. No, there would... was a five minute sequence probably in the film down where they're uh, trying to, towards the end, they're trying to, deal with all the whatever these glowing things out in the, the, the water um, okay. sticks in the water and they're trying to figure out all that. There's like very, very obviously noticeable. Mm. The theme from the dark night is being used in that <laughs> sequence. Nowhere else in the film. The rest of the film is very bond like with a lot of horns and brass and all. This was all strings and it was exactly the dark night. I, theme. I, th- I think by that time I was kind of exhausted because 163 minute runtime It is a long movie. I was like, okay, you're not really like, paying attention to the music. As no, much, so. no, but I, we were. I, that does not surprise. And when you said like, if I could have guessed, cause I was aware that Hans Zimmer did do the score, like what he might, he have like stolen from, I'd be like, well, probably the dark night. Oh, yeah. so, sure enough. I almost, my, my, what wow. I envision in my head is, somebody in the studio execs saw the draft of the film and said, Hey, you know, the score in this part of the movie, I don't really care for as much. We need to swap it out with something different. And they're like, well, we don't really have anything else. (laughs) And Hans was like, Hey, I've got this theme from this other movie (laughs) that might work really good here. Drop it in. And like, Oh yeah, that's perfect. We love it. And it's being used anyway. I think it's very obvious, but uh, I thought that was interesting. Okay. That definitely is. So that is no time to die. I mean, I think we're both giving it a, relatively positive review. Yeah, I think it's a good cap to his yeah. Craig's run as it. And I think um, there's one surprise that they try to make a surprise that I don't think anybody watching the film is going to be surprised by. <laughs> um, and it has to do with uh, some interactions that he has with Leah City's character as Madeline mm-hmm. um, and something about their relationship together. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, yeah. So there's something oh, that the right, film right, right. tries to make a surprise about. And it's like, Okay, and then they like really try to make, and you're like, yeah, right. We we already got that. Um, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. so there's there's I, that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's the one that comes at the end of the film, which I like. I say I I found that genuinely surprising. So that may elevate it more than just being like, oh, okay, because I I kind of appreciate what they were, what they what they did. So yeah, yeah I think it, I think it was okay. Definitely, I, I'm not going to say it's a Skyfall or a Casino Royale, but it's it's probably a good third place finish. Third place. So. Third yeah. place finish for Daniel Craig. It gets, it gets a medal. With No Time to Die. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that is No Time to Die. It is still playing in theaters as we speak, uh, as we record this. And we are saying, especially if you're a James Bond fan, 
it's a it's a worthwhile uh, entry into the U25 film legacy. If you're not a James Bond fan and you haven't seen any of the other Daniel Craig movies, I, I do think it might be a lot to a lot to absorb. <laughs> sure, and I think if you were wanting to see like, oh, sh- should I bother? Maybe start with his first with Casino Royale, yeah. and if you like it, well, then you know you can build up to the fifth one. Yeah. So. All right. Good deal. Well, let's move on to our second review, which is another sequel of sorts and continuing a long-term legacy character. It is, gosh, I don't even know what film in the franchise this number is, but at least in this little set of films that we're going to be talking about, it's the second. And it is the sequel to the 2018 version of Halloween, uh, also directed by David Gordon Green. It is Halloween Kills. So oftentimes, before I get a chance to go to the theater, I do see little little bits of reviews on Facebook or Twitter, or sometimes I you know, see them just online, and people will make just general statements, and I'll just kind of briefly look at it, and then you know, not read any more because I don't want to spoil the movie. So one of these instances just so happened to come through. I saw a headline from uh, Pace Magazine, and they said, Cynical sequel Halloween Kills, Gorily Treads Water. And then a little bit of, I read, did read like the sub headline and then quit because they didn't want to spoil the movie. But it said the body count is through the roof in this illogical continuation of the Michael Myers saga, which fails to deliver the payoff it promises. So hearing that general thesis and then there, the article would proceed from there, which I have not read in fairness, but just based on that kind of their feelings on the film. Alan, how did your experience pair with theirs on seeing uh, this sequel to the 2018 Halloween? Um, about the same. Okay. Um, I, uh, you know, the, the key word treading water, I think was the key in that review you just mentioned. Okay. This is the second film of this already reported trilogy. And it's very obvious. It's the second film that really doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing other than continuing <laughs> the story for the third film. Sure. Um, I mean, yes, it it is the prototypical uh, Michael Myers is on the loose and he's going to go around killing people. And oh my gosh, we're all freaked out because Michael Myers is on the loose. Uh, I, I admire the film for wanting to explore one aspect. Unfortunately, it just did, I think, a horrible job of it. I think I know where you're going with that. This whole impact on the community around this town and the, the, you know, we've never really seen the community of this town as much horror as they've had to go through kind of come together and trying to decide how they're going to deal with this menace. And I liked where that was starting to go in the film. You actually have what you've come to find out are characters from the original 1978 Halloween who were children back then. You now have them here and you get a little bit of a sense of, you know, they, they have several scenes early in the film where the community is kind of recalling that night from the original Halloween movie. But then they're also now trying to come together and work together as a group to figure out how they're going to 
handle this situation with him coming back. Right. But boy, does that subplot just go off the rails and just <laughs> really kind of come off really goofy and dumb by the end of it all. So I admire what they were trying to do is trying to do something a little different than just slasher running around, killing everybody. But man, after a while, those scenes of the, of the, of the angry mob trying to deal with Michael Myers got to be laughable. And they introduced a whole subplot of them following a character that turned out to be a, the wrong character. And it was just, it was just dumb. It was just, it just made no sense at the end of the film. And it was just a waste of time. Um, I felt like, which was, I guess you're saying that's what, when all this is doing is building towards yeah. the third movie. I mean, again, waste at time. the end of the, this movie, we're no further along with any kind of development of characters or story with it, with one exception from where we, we were from the first film. And so there again, it's just an exercise in oh, let's just have as many creative kills as we can. And, um, all that. Um, and I didn't find any of the scenes to be terribly, scary or really well done from even from the prototypical slasher film standpoint. I, I felt like they were, it was all very rudimentary, very run of the mill. Um, hmm. And then the Jamie Lee Car- Curtis character, of course, Laurie Strode. Sure. You know, kind of the main lead in these films. Uh, she's in a hospital bed for most of the film. And all she does is give very tired rally speeches to like, her family or the, the cop in the bed next to her, <laughs> you know, there's like no strategy. There's no strategizing. There's no thinking about really what's happening. It's just, we have to kill him. Evil dies tonight. We have to do this. It was just, okay, get it. We point taken. We all know that something has to happen with this guy, <laughs> but what are we going to do? <laughs> we right. don't really know other than we're all going to get pitchforks and run up and down the hospital hallways looking for him. It, uh, uh, I did not care for it. Um, there, there's an ending to this film that I at least thought was a little more creative and interesting. The last closing minutes I can talk about a little bit later without spoiling, I think, but okay. I thought it had some creativity to it and was at least kind of interesting, but um, yeah, it didn't work for me, Chris didn't work for me. So I want to hear your thoughts. So I'll, I'll start off with some positives. Okay. Um, sure. Overall, I, I felt like it was, I, I liked the 2018 Halloween. Okay. Um, and, you know, since we kind of detailed our history with the original Bond franchise, I'll say Halloween franchise, I'd seen the original mm-hmm. Halloween film by John Carpenter, and, and I liked it. I never saw the sequels. Yeah, I never did. Um, so 2018's Halloween was the first Halloween that I'd re- kind of returned to and seen it. Um, and I liked that. Um, I felt like it was kind of, a, you know, they were using the original text, but they were kind of innovating a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked that. I liked the fact that it was kind of Laurie Strode as superhero in yeah. a way and like becoming this equal menace to Michael no, no, Myers. I, I, I did not like the 2018 quite as much as you, but I still respected gotcha. it and I think still had a relatively good time with it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll focus on positives first. Um, something that I was not expecting that I really liked was the film. I, you know, I knew that this film was going to start right when the last one left off. So, but I wasn't expecting it to start with a flashback and I was like, well, okay, they're just giving it, they're, they're wasting some time and they're just showing us the original thing just because, you know, they just need to do something to kind of build up tension or whatever. But, um, 
I was a Thunder Road Halloween crossover that I wasn't expecting. And um, for those of you that aren't aware of what Thunder Road, it was a movie that Jim Cummings starred in. So he he is in this film in the flashback. And I really liked his role. I really liked what he did with his, he played a police officer, which is what he does in Thunder Road, which is not a horror film. But um, so that to me was fun. And it was an interesting way to kind of, have a winking flashback in a way. So I, I, I liked that. So that yeah. was unexpected. And, and, and I like that. Um, you were talking about how they tried to handle like a topic and uh, what they, you were like, well, that was interesting that they tried to do that. And to me, what I'll say that I was surprised they did it, but it didn't in the end really work was that kind of about mob justice. Yeah. yeah. And they were, you're saying how they were reflecting on, maybe this town coming together to try to rid themselves of Michael Myers, but the dangers in sometimes succumbing to mob justice. I thought that was interesting. Yes. Um, and actually in the hospital, them running around doing it, that didn't bother me. Um, but what didn't work is I felt like towards the end of the film, they returned to some, I mean, you got to say mob justice because it's more than just one or two people. <laughs> and, they kind of then do mob justice again. And it's like, and you feel like at that point you're supposed to be cheering them on. And it's like, wait a second, you just said how this was bad. And now you're expecting mm -hmm. us to cheer. So it was kind of like the whole, you can't have it both ways argument. So that kind of derailed it kind of, unfortunately at the end of the film, which yeah. is when you're supposed to, you know, completely be on the film side. Mm -hmm. um, but, and we'll segue into a little bit of not spoiler territory, but hinting kind of things at the end of the film there's a character that meets their demise and the way that they meet their demise, I was a not expecting, but B yeah. I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, and I then agree. they hint something about it's no spoiler. Obviously, as Alan indicated, this is the second film mm -hmm. of a trilogy that David Gordon green had signed on to. We're going to get Halloween ends in 2022. So, you know, Michael Myers is still going to be around people. <laughs> so they kind of hint, for the first time, well, Grant, I hadn't seen all the other Halloween movies, but in the first time in this thing, like something about Michael Myers. And I was like, huh, that is that is interesting that they're yeah. referencing something about his character, his being. I, so. I, I will say the last five minutes of this film were surprising to me. And I thought at least had something interesting artistically going on. Okay. Um, because, well, as <laughs> as kind of ludicrous as the lead up to that ending scene is <laughs> um, it's still kind of worked to where, yeah, yeah. It's the middle chapter. It's the darkest chapter in a trilogy, just like you typically have in the middle one. Like, you know, things are at rock bottom by the end of the second one. And yeah, gotcha. that absolutely is the case here. <laughs> sure. And um, so anyway, I, I did think that was some interesting moments to it, but you know, Chris the thing is, and I did like the idea too, that it was a, Yes, this takes place immediately after the end of the previous film. Right. So this is the same night. Like right. All one night. And I would hope they continue that for the third I, film. I would, where it's basically going into the morning of, you know, whatever. I it's think like, they'd have to do it's that. It's like all right? in a twelve hour period or something. Right. right. The problem is though, I mean, it has been three two to two years since that first film came out. There are some moments in this film where they are trying to pull on your trying to have you recall back to that first film that just didn't work. And I just have to bring this out because it's funny for us personally. Okay. Um, there was a, there was a guy who was an actor in the first Halloween 2018 one. 
that we've met, Drew Schneid, who oh, yeah. from uh, yeah. from uh, the Drought. film Drought. Yeah, and uh, he we, they they played at our film festival, and you know, he was a did a great performance in that film. He was in the 2018 Halloween. Yes. Well, he's in this one. Yes, he is for like five seconds. Yeah. Um, Two different five seconds, so a total of maybe ten. True, and, and it's just there again, and we're supposed to have a moment where his mother sees him, and it's all emotional. But like, yeah, but. I had to like even recall from him, like remind me who was this again and why are we supposed to care about this? It's like, Oh yeah. Two years ago, he, you know, I I guess he died in the, he died in the 2018 film. So here he is again. I guess Um, originally maybe this film was supposed to come out last year. Possibly if it had been one year early later, I could see that it would have a little more impact, but it's been a little more time. And to kind of recall back to all the characters that died in the first one, it was like, uh, okay, it didn't quite work as well. It didn't I've, have the impact that you would hope. I forgot. Um, I totally forgot at the beginning of the film. I, I remembered that character just because I remembered he was in this movie, the one you're yeah. referencing, <laughs> Drew Scheid. But what I didn't remember is one of the Strode women. There's Judy Greer, who plays mm-hmm. Karen. Of course, there's Jamie Lee Curtis, mm-hmm. who plays Lori Strode. Then we have uh, Andy Matichak, who plays Allison. I did remember there were three women. It was like, you know, the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter. Yeah, I got that. What I didn't remember was that Andy had a boyfriend. <laughs> so the, right. And yes. even even more mind-blowing to me, in the beginning of the film, he's I didn't recognize this because I'd forgotten. Like you say, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of a callback to the Arbonne discussion. I needed to do my homework of watching Spectre before I watched that. I needed to maybe, I guess, revisit Halloween 2018 before I saw this because her boyfriend, um, Cameron, is dressed up in Halloween costume. And I I didn't remember that. And so at the beginning, I'm like, wait, who's this guy? And why is he doing it? Like, I was kind of... No, it was. It was was disorienting. I I don't mind the serialization of the story. No, no. But, you know, I think the filmmakers need to understand a little more time has passed. And it's not like these characters from the first film were like super memorable, like really standout characters. These are a lot of like smaller, minor characters, but yet they're trying to get us to recall and feel some sort of emotion because they're there or gone or whatever. And it just doesn't work. It's kind of, you know, Grant, I do understand we're supposed to recall something. We know it's following the night up, but the people we remember are the Strode women. Those are the ones it's like, okay, if you want us to remember people, those are the ones we're going to remember. Well, and of course, Michael Myers, but you know, outside of that. Yeah. Um, I also did not like, so, okay. I mean, every time you, you have a a movie like this, a, a slasher horror film, you have to take with a grain of salt that the characters in the film are going to act very Uh, irrationally (laughs) and make dumb moves. Sure. And unfortunately you have to, because I mean, otherwise if everybody did what they should do in those situations and get the heck out of their house and run and go somewhere safe, then the movie would not be, there would be no movie. Okay. So I get that you have to have your characters be a little dumb, but the whole sequence with, um, I'll just say Big John and Little John, <laughs> I thought was just, not only was it just over the top, really kind of blatantly stereotypical and just really kind of, I think, very broad in how they tried to, to depict this couple, but also, and, and a little little insulting at times, but also the fact that here it is, two people who are living in the house they know Michael Myers came from. Right. And they know that Michael Myers is on the loose and they hear somebody in their house and yet they right. still insist on going upstairs <laughs> to face this. Right. And it just makes 
I, I at that point I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I can this see is that. really really dumb. So, right. um, so that's disappointing that they kind of went this path again. Again, you've got you've got opportunity to do something a little smarter with these films, and I sure. thought they were going there with the mob justice side of things. Mm-hmm. And it just fell apart and it just didn't work in the end. So, well, uh, and I admire them for at least trying because, like you say, you know, there are with horror slasher films where you have, if it's in a series and it's built on something like Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, where you have a returning big bad guy, a returning big bad slasher guy, then you kind of know certain things are just going to have to happen in a certain way. But the fact that they attempted to have the whole mob justice angle I thought was interesting. I liked the clever flashback using Jim mm-hmm. Cummings. But overall, you know, it was just a bridge film. Um, and like you had mentioned, the most important character, Lori, is sidelined for the entire movie. Absolutely. It'd be like having, well, you know, <laughs> having the Star Wars movie where Luke Skywalker is just like not around for the whole time. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, so then... Or just, you know, a Bond film where Bond is in a hospital bed the entire time, to throw it back to our first review. And that was the problem for me is you kept expecting her to, like, come back. And I'm sure the third movie, I think, will give us more of what we maybe it would have wanted. To. I mean, I, <laughs> right? yeah. Well, assume. it's just, yeah, there again. And, and again, I don't mind the idea of her being sidelined for the film because it does give a chance for other characters to develop. Step up, sure. But, you know, if you're going to if you're gonna come back to her, just make it make us make it be more interesting and more what we would expect Lori Strode to be doing. Right. And again, she's basically just giving out rah-rah speeches, you know, from <laughs> her or from her bedside. Right. And yes, she tries to get up one time and, you know, she's got a lot of injuries and she's wanting to leave and they force her back into the bed. And it, it just, you could have done a lot more with her even in that bedridden state and sure. made it more interesting. But instead I feel like she was just, they only had, Jamie Lee Curtis for like two days of filming for this film. All right, well, let's use her. She's going to be in the hospital bed. We're saving up to pay her for when we need her for the third film. So <laughs> that's, and I hate being cynical about it, but that's kind of the way it came across is like, we only have her for a limited amount of time. We can only do so much with her. Let's just kind of let her lie low until the, the third film comes around. Yeah. And it just wasn't as interesting. So, um, well, I was disappointed by Halloween kills. I mean, I am curious to see what they do with the third one. Sure. And the fact that the third one is coming out in one year instead of two to three years later, I think will help to some degree. But can they close this thing out and make it interesting and make it a worthwhile uh, entry in this whole saga? I, I don't know. I really don't know. David Gord Green is a director, you know, we, we've, we've followed for quite a while. And I think he's very much hit or misses for me. I think there's some movies he's done, especially ones on the more smaller independent side that I'm big fans of his entries into broader comedy. were also very hit or miss horror has been, I don't know yet. I mean, we brought up a story recently about him doing the exorcist film and he's actually a producer on a remake of hell Hellraiser. So he's kind of bought into this whole revisiting horror franchises. It was just disappointing that this movie didn't do more with what, they could have done or do it smarter or better than what they tried to pull off. And uh, I, one thing I will say is a positive. I, I didn't really mention many positives, but the look of the film was really sure. It had a much more of a seventies vibe to the look and the graininess of the film and the texture of the film, which I liked. It mm-hmm. definitely felt rougher and like, you know, more independent than a big budget studio film. And I did like that. So 
I just wish the story and the writing was was stronger for this this entry. So. Sure. All right. Well, that is Halloween Kills. It is available both in movie theaters and also on Peacock, which is where I saw it, strangely enough. So. Well, and I'll say this. Okay, so this is good. You had the Peacock at home experience, and I went to see it in the theater. And I will say, I think if I had watched it Home Alone <laughs> style, I think it would have. I would have liked it less. I was in a theater since coming back from the pandemic. Usually there may be 15, 20 other people. This theater, it was a Saturday night. It was packed. Wow. Okay. Well, that um, probably so it was a little, little nerve wracking for you know, a, a, a horror mask, film like but, this. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, you had the people like nervous laughter or you had the jump scare and you were there with an audience. So I, I will say that probably helped it give it a bump. For no, me. I, I agree. I think you're right. I think watching at home, like I did, I, I didn't get quite the same theatrical experience from it. And I think that probably would help your enjoyment a little bit. Um, at home watching it. Uh, yeah. It was a lot, it was a lot easier to pick out things that didn't work as well. So, all right. Well, you do have your options in person in theaters or on Peacock at home. Uh, you have to have a Peacock subscription, which I think minimums like $5 a month for that. So, um, could be a different option for watching it. So right before we go to a break, mm-hmm. I want to tell people like you can avoid both spoilers for James Bond and Halloween by just skipping ahead a little bit. And if you hear the break or you hear, sorry, sorry, then you'll know you've missed the spoilers. I'd like to first do just a teeny bit of spoiler talk for James Bond and then do a little bit of spoiler talk about how we felt about the things we did. All right. So this is your, this is your warning. warning. Spoiler talk about both films coming up right now. So skip ahead if you do not want to be spoiled on anything for that. Okay, Chris, what would you like? So quickly, um, James Bond, how did you feel about them literally killing James Bond? I I mean, he didn't, he didn't. Somebody didn't kill him. He just, no, no, he, he sacrificed. Himself. He sacrificed himself. Yeah. It was an obvious. Was that was a, a surprise death. to you? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. That was a surprise. Right. Um, I I can't think. I don't. There's not been a James Bond film, even at the end of a care at, at actor's run, where they've killed him. Right. I didn't think um, so, but no. I'm not an aficionado. So this was the first time they'd ever said, "Okay, this is his story arc ending, and he's literally going to die." Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was surprising. Okay. I, I still kind of was a little stunned at the end that they actually went through with yeah, it. Yeah. Me too. Um. Although what I read up on this, just a little background knowledge. Oh, are they going to say that he like somehow oh, no, no, survived? No. No. Okay. Um, I think the fact that every other actor who's played James Bond, they never knew doing their last film that they were doing their last film as that character. Ah, so because Craig had kind of Daniel said, Craig, they knew he was Everybody saying, knew, "I don't want to come this back. Is it. This is it." Okay. So I think Roger Moore did not know that his last film was going to be his last film when he was making it. He sure. made that decision after it came right, out. Right, 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 right. Same with Sean Connery. So they really couldn't do a send-off on any of those actors, gotcha. if they, even if they had wanted to. Um, but with this one, they did. And they uh, they did a heck of a send-off. I mean, yeah, they killed him. He's dead. <laughs> and uh, right. was shocking. Yeah. Um, I thought... Fairly well done. I mean, I liked it. I liked the the, the, the way they ended it. I did and, too. The mm. stuff that I also referenced that I, I mean, the fact that they kind of tease like, oh, here's this young girl. She's not your daughter. Then you're like, yes, she is. And then yeah. at the end, they're like, oh, she is your daughter. Like, yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we kind of knew that. <laughs> so, I mean, I know they were trying to play coy midway through the film when they introduced the, the young girl and right trying to play funny like James Bond thinks it's his daughter and the girl's the woman's like, it's like no, don't worry it's not no, yours it's not yeah, yours it's like but then you see them bonding you see that him caring for her so much making breakfast like, okay Come on. we yeah. know where this is gonna go and when I started to get the hint that they actually were gonna kill him 
I'm like, well, yeah, now he's got to find out that that's really his daughter or at least get confirmation of that. And they did. And it kind of played out the way you would expect at that point. So it was a, it was a surprising, surprising end for sure. Kind of shocking. And that's what disappoints me a little bit. I really liked the whole him being stripped of 007. And so then when, uh, Numi kind of gives the title back to him like, no, A, I want you to keep 007 and B, I don't think we need to search for James Bond. Let's have you be the new James Bond because, well, you're not because you're a lady, but you'll be the new 007. I thought that would have been so ingenious. I was okay with her giving giving the number back because again, he was going to be dead within an hour on the film. So, (laughs) you know, it was not like, you know, she's like retiring that number back to him. So she could still be 007. 007. Although, if you stay till the end of the credits, there's not a scene. There's okay. not a scene, but I, I, I didn't. the I very liked, typical text comes up at the end of a James Bond movie. James Bond will be back. It says James Bond will return, which means they're going to have another actor playing James playing Bond. James Bond. Which, could this have been an opportunity to say, you know what, let's just go with Noni. She is yeah. now 007. And well, maybe he'll, there'll be a new James Bond, but he won't be 007. But no, well, how but they still, do that? I mean, yeah. you still want her to be the main. I kind of wouldn't mind right. seeing her no, as the main I totally, I'm on the yeah. same page. I want her to be the main. Um, and then with Halloween. Yeah. So let's jump ahead to Halloween because that was kind of one of them. So um, I was surprised that Judy Greer died. Yes. Um, that and, was shocking to me. And, um, but they had introduced this new thing how, well, the reason Michael is just like going around and can't be stopped is because maybe he there's something to him like supernatural or there's some type of force that maybe just he can't be killed. They've always teased at that and. Like in any of the, uh, I think, you know, even in the first film, there was some, some teasing of that about whether or not that's the case. I felt like I just, the whole, the mob basically just pure evil looking like they killed him. Oh yeah. And then him just rising back up and murdering all of them. And then you find him up in the window with Judy Greer's career's character, which is Laurie Strode's daughter. Right. And he massacres her. Right. Um, it was shocking. But again, it did end us on that. Okay, yep, yeah, it's, it's all now set up for the third, third one of how it's going right. to end out. But um, it was surprising. Well, and, I and that's why I like the I like the creed. I like the kind of they were cutting between her and what he did to the mob and kind of this. It was a lot more dreamy like in a way the way they did it was sure i like the artistic style of how they put that montage together at the end. I wish the film had carried more of that style throughout it, but. I got um, you. was at least interesting. I'll say too, I forgot to mention this in the original review before we cut and have our break. Um, I liked the way that they handled the fact that Michael was still alive in this film. You know, most films it's just like, nope, he's still, Michael Myers is back and here he is. He's just going around doing stuff. They cut from the film. The original one has him in the basement with the house on fire and the, the mm. Strode women are going away. They open this movie, they, you, well, after the flashback, and you see the house on fire. You see them going away, and you see fire trucks rushing to the scene. And she's like, no, 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 let it burn. But they go in there, and what do firemen do? They try to put out a fire, mm-hmm. and they try to – and because of that, Michael gets access out of the basement. I thought that was you – know, so it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how he – I and thought that like was a really behind, good way. He was like behind a roll-down garage door type of thing. So that's how he kind of had stayed – you know, right. back there waiting for people to come rescue or right. rescue the house. So I, I thought it, it was like a decent explanation no, a other than just start. he's like, yeah. And it was a, a pretty interesting ending. Sure. I just felt like everything in the middle was, was just messy. messy and mm. didn't really make sense. Okay. Okay. Spoilers are done. Thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, here from our break in just a moment with some movie news and our recommendations. So stay tuned for Kindle Films here on the TV. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative. 
a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. First half of the show, we had our reviews of No Time to Die and Halloween Kills. Yes. Both interestingly titled, playing <laughs> off each other. <laughs> no, time to ta- no Time to Die, but yet Halloween Kills. So right. anyway, fun, fun, to, fun with titles. There you go. All right, Chris, let's move on to the part of the show where we do some talk about upcoming projects and films that we're following. You know, we reviewed ones that are out in theaters now, but now let's talk about some that are going to be up and coming that uh, we're maybe interested in. And I'm, if it's okay with you, Chris, I'm kind of taking over this news this this week. Ah, that's fair. Because we've got to talk comic book movies. I, it's been a little while since we've either talked about one i think black widow was the one that kind of we did get to cover was there another one? Oh, we did suicide squad well and we did uh shang chi oh yeah. yeah okay i guess there has been a lot more than i realized well they made a lot of announcements in the last few days about some new projects coming out or where when to expect new ones both from the marvel cinematic universe and the dc cinematic universe whatever it's called <laughs> and uh so we have a lot of project updates so i thought maybe let's do this chris maybe let's go and hit the highlights of both camps and kind of what they have coming out only fair and equal, then that equal way time. you can tell me what projects of them if any you are excited about okay. or you find interest in sure and why and i'll do the same here as well okay so let's start first with the DC side. Uh, they had their fandom event just this past weekend where that's their opportunity to talk about all their media coming out soon, films, TV. And this and is separate forth. than like a Comic-Con. This is just it a is. little this individual thing own, just for DC. That's correct. Gotcha. Okay. So there were really four projects I was going to mention kind of briefly that they, that they touched on that I think are more of interest to us film-wise. Okay. Three of them were actually going to be films. One of them will be a TV show, but I do want to bring it up because I think it's hmm. interesting. Okay. Um, first off, let's talk about the Batman. And just to cl- clarify, this is the Batman. The so Batman. That is the differentiation between the Tim Burton 1989 Batman is this one has the V in front of it. It is scheduled to premiere now March 4th, 2022. Okay. Uh, it is directed by Matt Reeves. As we've talked about before, I think we actually did the teaser trailer we talked about. Matt Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. We got Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Paul Dano as the Riddler. And um, although not mentioned in this article, I know for a fact Colin Farrell as the Penguin. So he is supposed to be the Penguin. That's my understanding. Okay. Yes, that is that is what I'm being led to believe. Okay. So with that, Chris, we do have a new trailer. Would we like to play the new trailer? Yeah. And then we can kind of dissect it and talk about it here afterwards. Sure. Okay, great. Here's the trailer, the new trailer. Probably, well, they may do another trailer between now and March, but this is kind of the first like full big standard trailer I think we've seen for the film. Here it is, The Batman. Get out of here! 
cool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. So there you had the trailer. I know on an audio podcast, not the most riveting thing to listen to, but at least hopefully you get a, a sense of the tone of the film. Chris, your thoughts on the trailer for the Batman couple raise or lower your interest in the film. Well, I, I, you know, I thought the, the teaser that they'd put out that you, as you mentioned, we did discuss, you know, briefly, I thought that was good. This probably maybe raises my anticipation a little, um, but I'm already pretty hyped for this. Batman is my favorite character um, and tends to be more of my favorite um, comic book movies. Although just like everybody else, I'm getting kind of burned out on them. Um, but I really, um, I am anticipating this. I do. If they were to come out with another trailer, I think I will probably try to skip it <laughs> unless it comes on in a movie theater that I'm not going to get up and run out. Um, but I already feel like, okay, yeah, you've already got me excited. I don't want to know any more plot details. I don't want to see any more cool scenes. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's interesting to me and I, you know, I, I can't keep track. We, you know, bring items up here on the show, but I can't keep track of when this film was begun to be developed. And if it was before, which maybe, or after, um, the Joker, came out or sorry that one was just joker i believe not the joker but just this joker. is all after i think okay. it kind of started after the joker came out was because here's uh, here's my thing you know it's like dc as we've discussed you know dc tried to hurry up and do a um justice league movie i felt like it was a little rushed and they had Zack snyder redo it whereas marvel had spent their time planting the seeds watching the plants grow and then harvesting them for the whole Avengers Endgame and kind of putting a bow on that whole however many movies they've done. A lot of movies. Yeah, a lot of movies. So I feel like maybe DC had tried, you know, trying to do the same thing. And then now I wonder if they're just going to be like, you know what? Okay, forget that. What we're going to do is we're just going to do gritty, adult, depressing. We're like, you thought you thought Christopher Nolan's Batman stuff was like <laughs> dark, just hold my beer. Like, you know, like Matt Reeves is like, tell you what, Hold, hold my beer. Hold my beer, Christopher Nolan. I'm going to... Because, yeah, these things look really dark, which is sad, I guess, for little kids who love to run around and play Batman. Don't think they're going to be seeing this one because it looks yeah. it looks kind of dark. Maybe they probably shouldn't see it, just like they shouldn't see have seen Joker. Um, but I am I am interested. I am excited, but I am an adult, you know, and I, I realize, you know, this, it's going to trend towards that audience. But I'm, I am excited. I mean, I would just yeah. wonder going forward... If for a lot of DC things, if that's going to be kind of a strategy, it's like, you know, what would be interesting <laughs> is to see like a gritty rundown of Wonder Woman. They've had two Wonder Woman movies. Mm-hmm. The first one was more successful, I think, than the second one, 1984, yeah. both of which we reviewed here on the show. But what would happen if they did like a Wonder Woman film in the vein of the Batman or Joker or even more mm. odd would Superman. be like a Superman movie. Because yeah. I, I I don't think that would really work because that's not really, those characters don't Batman really is the that. only one of these characters in their universe I want to see as a gritty, 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 dark character. The rest of them, I don't, I don't think they should go there. Gotcha. Uh, you know, DC is finding its success, like you said, with more of the adult themed or, or, or more uh, darker versions. You know, even even Suicide Squad. I mean, yes, well, that was meant to be in the title. funny, but I mean, it was still a pretty you know violent sure. and, and 
dark, dark comedy movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, which is not at all what I would expect from the DC characters years ago. But that's where they kind of have fallen right now. And you're right. They have given up on the idea of a big shared universe story. They're like, nope, just everybody go do their own thing. Have fun. And that's kind of what they Because <laughs> Aquaman's about to have another movie as well, right? Right. And granted, it's the same. You know, that is one they also talked about. The uh, Aquaman is going to be Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. Director James Wan, who did the first one, is coming back again for this. And he also did Malignant. He did do Malignant. <laughs> oh, no. He had to take a little break from Malignant. Now he's back to Aquaman. Sure. Okay. Um, so that's going to be coming back out. That one, of course, is kind of tied in with Justice League because it's the same character and same right. actor and all. Um, so we've got that as well. Uh, they did announce uh, the new Shazam movie, Fury of the Gods, oh, is going to be coming out. Uh, okay. Zachary Levy as Shazam once again. This one is now going to include uh, Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu as villainous gods. So I guess the kind of the bad ones that they play against. Um, So I think, I mean, I enjoyed the first one. I thought it was fun. So that is one that's kind of playing against the rest of the universe. Right. They're going to go a little lighter, a little more family friendly with this one. It's like a, in a way, I mean, this is bad compared, but like, it's like DC's family friendly version of like, Deadpool because it doesn't take things seriously and yeah, like kind of bends poking conventions fun and poking kinda, fun, yeah, yeah. very aware. So yeah. yeah. Um, the other film they they mentioned or talked about or showed a little well, two of them they showed little clips from. Okay. One is going to be Black Adam, which is for those that? not in the loop, um, that is going to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Okay. Black Adam is commonly known as the. Anti or the villain for Shazam. I was about to say, so that's. But they're doing it as a separate movie. Again, oh. all rules are out the window. Just Interesting. Whatever people want to do. Do you think do he's going to be at least? I mean, I assume is the first the Shazam movie going to come out before Black Adam, so maybe he'll at least be like teased or something. Or we. Don't um, I don't have a date for Black Adam. Okay. Shazam is going to be June twenty twenty three. Okay. So we're still a little like we're still a year and a half away from Shazam. Now I mean, Black Adam is bad though. Well, I think they're going to play him as kind of an anti-hero. Cause so kind of like the Venom the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Basically. Interesting. But that's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's been teasing this movie for years, like the making, and it sounds like they finally have at least a couple clips. Okay. And it's at least going to be a year from now before that thing shows up anywhere. <laughs> okay. Um, last movie I'll mention is The Flash. Now. Now, is that still starring Ezra Miller? It is. Ezra Miller is still in it. They released a very, very, very teaser trailer for it. Okay. Uh, Ezra Miller actually introduced the teaser trailer on the whole conference, uh, the big expo thing. Okay. And um, in the teaser trailer, we see that Ezra Miller gets to act alongside himself because there are multiple versions of The Flash in this movie. Okay. The whole multi-universe thing that DC has as well. Uh, there'll be someone playing Supergirl, mm. although I don't think you really see her much in the in the trailer. But this teaser does do one thing that has got all fans in a tizzy. Uh-oh. Um, Get the fans in a tizzy. The, uh, well, I mean, a good tizzy. Oh, okay. Good tizzy. Uh, the narrator is a familiar voice. The narration is by Mr. Michael Keaton. And you get the profile of him in his Batcave as his version of Batman. So Michael Keaton is going to be in the Flash movie as the 1989 Batman version, but now a older version of him. Because in this 
movie, the Flash can hop between different realities ah, and gotcha. universes. So instead of running into Robert Pattinson as Batman, he's okay. Understandable yes. that he could run into. Yes, he's running into the Michael Keaton version of Batman in the film. Yeah, I mean, okay, DC, just They're throw it out the window. They like whatever, whatever. So they may actually kind of. <laughs> get the jump on the whole multiverse thing, which is going to be with Dr. Shit. Like they're just saying like, okay, we're, we're already there. We're well, all yes sorts and of no. Crazy I mean, keep in and mind timelines and the flash like, is still going to be a, another year before it comes out. Okay, I think. Gotcha. So, so I think right. Marvel will still be beating them to everything here in the next six <laughs> to nine months. Right. But, um, hmm. DC's giving it a run too. So yeah, of course, I mean, there's even a shot where you see Ezra Miller getting ready to take the tarp off the Batmobile, which is, very clearly from the shape of it, the 1989 Batman Batmobile. And you don't see it, but you know he's getting ready to reveal it. So they're going to go all in on the nostalgia so do we, for this do one. we know, and of course the answer is no, because the movie's not out yet, but do you get a sense that, I mean, they're doing that to make fans happy, or do you think Michael Keaton and that whole Batman will play kind of a, a role in the Flash movie? Or do you think it's probably going to be like five minutes of the movie? Uh, my guess is it would be a relatively small role. Oh, but okay. I don't know. Sure. I mean, I have no idea. Huh. Uh, you know, Michael Keaton's been in a lot of, he's been in some Marvel movies. He's yeah. been, you know, out and about. So who knows? Maybe he is playing a bigger part in this film. Hmm. Um, but that does, cause I'll be honest, you know, you were saying we're going to announce each one and you're going to tell him and I'm going to say like level of interest, zero interest in the flash, zero. I even with little, that, uh, even with knowing Michael, I Keaton watched a little bit of the TV show, you know, whatever, yeah. just zero interest. But the fact that Michael Keaton, like, yeah, I'll probably see it just because I want to see the Batman stuff from Michael Keaton. So I, right. I, you got me okay. on that one. I, that was the hook that we needed. So, to and I to. guess actually kind of good because I already had really low expectations for a Flash movie. So that makes me interested, but I'll still kind of go in with low expectations because I'm just thinking that it'll be such a small part of it. So it very well could be, but we'll see. The last thing I was going to mention from the, the DC fandom Okay. Uh, which is not a movie, but I think it's close enough uh, related that we should mention it. Okay. Um, we talked about Suicide Squad as a film that we reviewed uh, a couple months ago when it came out. Uh, John Cena played a character called Peacemaker in that film. Right. So um, they have now uh, shown the trailer for the James Gunn produced TV show. But he's not directing. I think he may be directing like the first, first episode, episode, possibly. Sure. I'm not. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. And typically, if you got the big name right. producing the show, they get to do like one or two episodes, and then other people direct the rest of them. Gotcha. So HBO Max will have a TV show based on John Cena's character, the Peacemaker. Um, I got to admit, the trailer was really funny. Okay. It was. It looks. It looks fun. Um, I totally see the vibe they're going for with it. It is very much in the vein of Suicide Squad. Um, he is. They're playing him as kind of a goofball, kind of arrogant goofball, but also you can tell the film's going to skew into having some more, you know, make him a real character and have have real uh, development of him. And as this well, takes so. place timeline wise before the movie that we no, saw. No, I think in. it takes place right afterwards. Because if right you recall, okay. spoiler for if you have not seen Suicide Squad, one of the end credit scenes is Peacemaker is in the hospital room uh, alive. And I think even in the trailer they showed for the show, you see him coming out of the hospital room. So I assume okay. it's all happening right after the Suicide Squad movie. Gotcha. So anyway, it's James Gunn's producing it. I think he is directing at least an episode. I'm not sure about that. Hmm. But um, I just thought it's interesting, you know, to already have a spinoff TV show off of a movie that just came out a couple months ago. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's pretty interesting. But I think sure. they have a lot of confidence in this character and, 
course, John Cena, you know, I think, I think doing John Cena wants to be funny. He's very, very funny and has a good comedic timing. And uh, that's going to play this, this series well. So, Hmm. okay. So sounds like gauging from you, Chris, before we hop over to the other side of the coin, you're obviously very interested in the Batman movie. Yes. That is your number one. Barring the Batman movie. Take that out of the equation. We've got the Flash movie. We've got the Shazam movie. We've got the Aquaman movie. Mm-hmm. And we've got the Black Adam movie. Of those four, any of them? Uh, not really, no. Um, I, I, the Bat- the Flash movie only Just because, because of the Batman. Yeah. So it's all Batman for you. Right. That's it. <laughs> if there's no Batman, Chris Fry is not interested. Uh, yeah, predictable, all right. I guess. But That's yeah. fine. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I'm... The Shazam movie, I think, will be fun, but it's not like I'm eagerly waiting for it. I just, when it comes out, I think it'll be a fun time. Sure. Um, let's hop over to the Marvel side of the pond here. Okay. Uh, of course, Marvel has, like you mentioned, Shang-Chi, Black Widow has been released in the last little bit. Eternals is getting ready to come out right. in just a couple of weeks. I'm sure we will be reviewing it after it comes out. I imagine so. Um but they also just today uh, have announced some revised schedule plans for some of their upcoming movies. Uh, things are getting delayed, which is kind of interesting. Because now uh, that the world, you know, pandemic is, we think we see an end inside. Production has started. Yeah, a lot but of everything is getting shifted back. Granted, some of them are more noticeable shifts than others. Okay. So up after the Eternals, mm-hmm. which is in November. It looks like uh, the one we have after that is going to be the Doctor Strange movie. Gotcha. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is going to go from March 25th back to May 6th. So only like a month and a half back. Not not Making dramatic more there. more of a summer release. More summer guess, release. Yeah. Then we've got L- Thor Love and Thunder, which is going to be Taika Waititi directing again, moving back two months from May to July. Hmm. Then we've got Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which is the sequel to Black Panther, going from July down to November. Hmm. So all of this has pumped as well the Marvels, which is going to be the Captain Marvel sequel starring Brie Larson and where she's going to be joined by other Captain Marvels um, or Miss Marvels, I guess you could say. Yeah, hmm. you're shaking your head. You don't I'm know confused. this. Trust no, me on I... it. You're fine. <laughs> nothing to worry about yet. <laughs> nothing, um, nothing to see here. That is getting bumped into early 2023. Okay. And then Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania is being moved from February to July, 2023. So everything is getting kind of shifted back, but that gives you an insight as to the films they have coming out over the next year. Can I just say, um, and and it's not going to be earth shattering for anybody probably listening. And I think most people would probably feel the same. I like Paul Rudd. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked the first Ant-Man movie. I mean, a grand Peyton Reed educated in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, grew up in North Carolina, you know, so kind of have his mom actually taught me middle school English. So mm-hmm. um, have a soft spot for him as a director. And he's done other films. I like too, like the breakup and um, down with love. Um, but, and the, you know, this, the second Ant-Man movie, I felt like, I guess, you know, the character itself, once we got past an origin story and I like Paul Rudd, there's just not really much that interests me. So the second movie I felt like was kind of running on fumes. I think the most interesting thing was Michael Pena, like, hyped up on, I guess, drugs and he was talking really fast or whatever. Like that's, that's what I remember about mm-hmm. that movie. Third film for an Ant-Man. Like I just, 
I don't know. I, they're going to, and the name of it even sounds like quantum. I guess like the quantum well, universe. Have, and everything. I think it's just going to be funny. I think that's the whole well, uh, kind of. And Paul Rudd can be funny, but yeah. I'm just, I'm really leery of that one. Well, then let me ask you this. I'm kind of standing back. Sure. Of the four I mentioned, I think I mentioned four, maybe five films. Doctor Strange 2, Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, that was three. And then I'm not even going to mention the Marvels and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Those are so far out. Sure. Of the three that they're planning for next year, where's your interest level? Wh- which one are you the most looking forward to? No surprise to anyone there probably, but uh, Love and Thunder. Yeah. Because of Taika Waititi. Yeah, because yeah. Taika Waititi. I like Thor, Chris Hemsworth doing Thor, although I don't know if they're going to shift to having the female, I think a female Thor or whatever. I don't know if they're a shifting Natalie to Portman that. Character. Natalie Portman, yeah. So I don't know, but I, I don't care. I just, I feel like there's the most possibility for something different, and I really like Taika Waititi, so yeah. Well, I'm the most intrigued for Doctor Strange, mainly because Sam Raimi is coming uh, back to direct okay. it, yeah. which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see them do something kind of really trippy and wild with that movie. So could be interesting. I would say that would be my, my second follow yeah. up was a doc. I'm Strange. curious about the black Panther movie only because I, I was one that I liked black Panther, but I did think maybe it was a little over, over overrated. Uh, I was a little more disappointed in the film than I thought I would be. Of course, I'm very curious how they're going to handle the role after Chadwick Boseman's untimely passing. Right. Um, so I'm more curious about that film. Looking forward to Doctor Strange. And yeah, I'm looking forward to Thor as well. Should be, I think it's an interesting slate of films they've got coming up next year that should be very telling. I still think Eternals is going to be a really big test. I mean, I still think Eternals, (laughs) if Eternals bombs or just really gets bad reviews or nobody goes to see it or whatever, it could throw some things off. I don't know. So the Eternals could be Marvel's uh, Justice League that DC had. I don't. Like, I just, just don't know. I want it so bad to be good, but so do I. it's also got the potential to be not at all what people are wanting and right. tough to sell. So we'll sure. see. And then there's also a Spider-Man movie coming out in December, I believe, as well this year that I didn't mention. But that's oh, not changing. Right. That's still happening in December. So there's Eternals, Spider-Man, and then we roll into the, the schedule I just mentioned. Got you. Yeah. Okay. Lots of superhero films coming our way, people. Yeah, if you thought up. they were maybe kind of paused or done <laughs> during the pandemic for a little while, they were just paused. They were not right. done. They are coming back, whether you like it or not. Me, I'm okay with it, but I, I will admit I've gotten to the point with the Marvel movies. I'd I'd like to see some more unique visions and unique takes on on stories and characters. With the DC comic uh, ones, they haven't really hit me very well any of the ones they've done, but at least they're trying some different things, which I'll at least give them credit for that. Sure. Okay. Well, that's all the news I've got, Chris. Okay. It was all comic book <laughs> news for us today. Yeah. So with that, why don't we go ahead and roll into our recommendations? So if somebody still listened to us, even after all this <laughs> and wants to hear of a good recommendation of something to check out, Maybe uh, in their free time this coming weekend, whatever it may be, something they can watch online is the only requirement we have. Chris, what do you want to recommend for our audience this episode? So I'm going to recommend the second documentary of 2021 done by somebody, a director who is known for being a director of narrative films, and it's their first documentary. This time, instead of being Edgar Wright with Sparks Brothers, it's going to be uh, Todd Haynes, director Todd Haynes, and his documentary of The Velvet Underground. And um, 
I, I won't say like, I just, I was, I liked the Velvet Underground and I was really excited to have a director that I know can direct a film, try to do a documentary for the first time. thought that was interesting. And, um, I won't say I was just bowled over, you know, my expectations probably were really high, but what I do admire is that it's unlike any other music documentary I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And not that it doesn't have talking heads because it does have some of that, but a lot of it is voiceover from different interviews of people and montages of just really experimental, you know, kind of bizarre film footage that was shot by people that were either Andy Warhol or satellites of people, you know, acolytes of his that, you know, kind of took over his type film work or contemporaries. Cause I'm not familiar with a lot of the avant-garde people that were doing film work in New York and in the mm-hmm. surrounding areas. But, um, it really makes for an interesting visual mm-hmm. experience. And a lot of times you'll see where the, he uses a lot of split screen. So on one side of the screen, you see all these random images and on the other side, you'll see somebody talking or you'll just see a very slowed down, for example, uh, film footage of like Lou Reed staring straight at the camera while on the other side, all this crazy random stuff is going on. So it, it was just really, really interesting. And I guess when a lot of people hear about the Velvet Underground, including me, um, you think of Lou Reed, Mm -hmm. um, because I think after the Velvet Underground crashed and burned, he was the most successful member to kind of come out of that and Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, state and make a lot. And other people made subsequent albums, but he was the most high profile, um, uh, Lou Reed, obviously in this film, he is only in it through, uh, archival narration because sure. he's passed away. Um, but, and I guess many people know this about Lou Reed could kind of be a little difficult yes. dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and boy, does this documentary say, yes, he could be difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, um, at the same time, I don't think it's unfair because they have family members commenting on him and stuff. Um, but what I found most fascinating was kind of the, the more, and I wanted more. I think it could be a documentary of just her, uh, Mo Tucker, mm-hmm. Maureen Tucker, the female drummer who is still around, and uh, you know, footage of her and you know, past footage, but also current, like present day stuff of her talking about the band and her experience. And man, I think like I would have liked a little more stuff. Like, so it was you and these three dudes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, how was that? Because. Yeah, just to have been her, um, I don't know, just real fascinating. So I was glad to hear a lot of stuff from her. And also John Cale, who was a member that left the Velvet Underground. But he and Lou Reed kind of had a lot of Paul McCartney, John Lennon kind of vibes going Mm on. Um, But when they were together, kind of the really interesting music the Velvet Underground made with, um, you know, just the whole like droning instruments and like – kind of cacophonous noise, like a lot of noise stuff, just really interesting. And you get an insight into Lou Reed kind of maybe pushing them to be more pop, whereas John Cale was obviously more interested in the experimental. And then you have the firecracker randomness of Andy Warhol. So, and I, I guess like at the end of the day, you're just like, maybe you didn't learn anything new, but somehow it was just really interesting to see a documentary that just kind of gives you an experience. Like, I think Andy Warhol and probably Mr. Problematic Lou Reed would probably say, yeah, that was great. Like, you know, it's like they don't reveal anything, but they just kind of show you like, they do give you a sense of how important this band was and how influential they might've been and how they were, man, they were different, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, while everyone probably wouldn't, you know, just swarm to see this documentary, but if you are, if you like Velvet Underground, if you like Lou Reed, 
um, or just interested in kind of experimental film, I think I think you might would uh, appreciate The Velvet Underground by director Todd Haynes. It is available right now exclusively on Apple TV+, and I think yeah. it is playing some select theater dates around the country kind of in limited release. But, um, you know, you may have Apple TV+, Plus because you're checking out Ted Lasso. <laughs> so, you know, you have it already. So uh, check out The Velvet Underground if you're interested. I, um, I am interested in seeing this. I, I'm, I'm a big Lou Reed fan, mm. but I'll, be, I'll self-admit that I, I never dug as deep into The Velvet Underground beforehand. I okay. was really more into his solo career. Interesting. So I am anxious to watch it. Okay. Very, very curious to see. Uh, Todd Haynes, you know, director, I, I've had some... Todd Haynes and I have had some some difficulties <laughs> connecting before. Okay. Um, I, I still have not quite gotten over the experience of watching. Is it I'm not here? The yes. Bob Dylan film. Yeah. That one still doesn't work for me, and I'm still wrestling with it. And, well, uh, in a way, that's except that was a narrative film about yeah. Bob Dylan, you know, but which was very weird and odd. This is weird not, but it's just a documentary. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be curious. I'll have to see how I how I do with it. So, sure. Yeah. Okay. So that is uh what's the name of the So the name of the documentary is just The Velvet the Underground. The Velvet Underground. Yes. Okay, the name of the mm-hmm. band. Good. All right. Well that is on Apple TV plus, as Chris mentioned, available right now. Um, all right, Chris. I, I gotta pull a cheat. Okay. And I'm only bringing this up because I know you and I have both watched this. Uh, it's not per se a movie unless you consider it a nine hour long movie broken into individual parts. <laughs> it is a mini series, but it is streaming. It is one that everybody seems to be talking about right now. Uh, Sarah not live even had a skit about it, which kind of tells you it is hit the it's zeitgeist. The where everybody zeitgeist. now knows sure. it. Right. And it is squid game. Um, I just want to mention it only because from a filmmaking standpoint, I do want to kind of talk about its merits but yet also give a couple words of caution to people as well to be aware of the show. Uh, this is the one that's you know, gotten all the acclaim. Well, not even all acclaim. It's gotten some blowback as well, but a lot of popularity. I think mm-hmm. it already set records on Netflix for being like the most watched show they've had, you know, in the history. Of I'm Netflix. glad something ever took Tiger King because yes, it absolutely <laughs> has, which I agree with you. I think this is at least a step in the right direction. Uh, the premise of the show for anybody who, who hasn't heard about it or knows about it is that, Hundreds of players are brought to a strange location to compete in a series of children's games, all with the idea of winning a very, very large and growing cash prize. The catch is these are all people that have been brought here because they're all at difficult points in their lives financially and cash strapped, maybe owing money, maybe severely in debt, whatever it may be. So they see this as their option to get out. Uh, The little bit of the rub is that, you know, uh, if you don't win your game, you die. <laughs> so, so kind of like a, a running man type situation. It definitely, you know, the influences here, obviously the running man, you've got uh, kind of a most dangerous game mm-hmm. kind of story mentality to it. Uh, there is a mystery involved with, you know, why was anybody doing this and who's behind it? Um, I, I think the things that work for this show that make it interesting to watch is that you have a, a different uh, assortment of characters to follow. Um, almost like Lost, you know, almost like the TV show Lost in a way, in that, yes, you maybe have one or two characters who are your more dominant characters, but you still get some investment in the rest of the characters and their background and lives. Obviously, you have these competitions and games, which kind of plays into more of the 
reality TV that I think people are so enamored by watching competitions and people competing against each other. Then you've got the heavy stakes and drama of the fact that, you know, people are dying Yeah, quite gruesomely, quite yeah. violently. It is a very, very violent show. Um, Agreed. But I think for it being nine episodes, uh, I was fairly happy with the progression, the development and the ending of it. Um, could it have been a little tighter? Maybe so. Maybe by an episode or two. But I actually liked that each game kind of had its own episode to focus on. And then you had a couple of other episodes to just develop characters and tell backstories on. So overall, I was okay with the format. It definitely didn't need to be any longer. I think it kind of met its match on the, on the length. Um, and I did like it. Uh, I thought it was entertaining is the word I would use. Uh, didn't go as deep thought provoking as maybe it could have on the whole idea of poverty and people at the end of their rope kind of taking on really dangerous situations to help resolve that. Um, it tries to play a little bit of an anti-violence message, but yet it still revels in the violence of the mm -hmm, game. So sure. it's a little complicated in, in what it's trying to say, but I think for pure entertainment, I think it was a fun watch. And I do think production wise, uh, the making of the uh, the series is really high caliber and looks good and plays really well. So Chris, I know you just finished this as well. Yes. Any thoughts on that? Do you want to echo or share? No, I'm kind of along the same lines. Yes. Not for everybody. Cause some of the violence is pretty intense. Um, I do like the fact that they try to be, you know, there are some twists that they try to weave in. Um, maybe they didn't resolve some things the best in like the best fashion. They kind of, maybe do some red herrings in there, which maybe, you know, okay. Um, but I did like it. And what struck out to me is, um, yeah, the acting is good, but to me, like the, the MVP of the entire series was just the production design and the costume design, mm -hmm. because, you know, if you know anything, if you've heard anything about this show, it's just very visually stunning because, the employees of this game, they all wear these pink jumpsuits with these masks that hide their faces. And they have these shapes on that tell whether they're a worker, a soldier, or basically they're like a manager. And then you have all the players are all in these green jumpsuits. And, and even the games themselves are just very stylized. It's kind of hyper stylized, but it, it just really, it just really worked for me. There's also, these staircases that lead from like their dormitories mm. to where they, the arenas that they play these games in. And it's kind of taken directly from like an MC Escher mm -hmm. drawing, but instead of being black and white, it's all these like hyper data glow colors. So it's just, I know that you can tell there was a lot of thought put into this series. And while some of the points do don't work for me exactly, but overall I, I think it's worth checking out because it's, it's, it's pretty original. Yeah, I, I never lost interest. And right. I think that's the biggest thing I can say about a nine episode miniseries is I never once said, I'm not interested anymore in watching or waiting for the next episode. I'm always eager to see where it went. Um, yeah, so I do I do think it was a, a fun watch. Again, extremely violent. Yes. Caution on that. I just I, I need to put that out there because I think somebody could easily hear the premise and see some of the visuals from it and think it's going to be a lot more... Um, a lot less intense than it is, but no, it is extremely, extremely violent. Yeah. There and, would be uh, no doubt if this came in the theater, it'd be an R like, oh, yeah, there's, very, very hard it would be a PG 13. Yeah. So yeah, just be aware. So be aware of that. But overall, I do think squid game is worth a recommendation. 
because it's one of the the Netflix sensations or whatever the buzzworthy shows that I actually think kind of earns it. I mean, I think it it actually holds up as opposed to many others we've seen. They get all the the attention, they get all the buzz and the news, and then you watch it, and it's just not really doesn't really hold up for it. So agreed. All right. So that's our recommendations: The Velvet Underground on Apple TV Plus, and then Squid Game the series on Netflix is what we're recommending at this time. So Chris, that seems to be everything for this episode. No Time to Die, Halloween Kills. Uh, we were both generally satisfied with No Time to Die. Um, you were probably a little more positive still again on Halloween Kills than I was. I was I was disappointed and a little down on the decisions made in that film. Um, and then we had our, our big comic book geekery news blowout <laughs> for a while about Marvel and DC movies coming out. Right. And then ending up with our recommendations. So if anybody wants to comment on anything we talked about today, Chris, how can they get a hold of us? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are also on Letterboxd where you can track what we're seeing and sometimes we leave short reviews. And then also we would ask you, because of the value that you receive from this podcast, if you like what you're hearing, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends and iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We're also in um, on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and you can also catch some of our back episodes if you don't want to subscribe necessarily. We're also featured on the mesh.tv website where not you can find our podcast, but other podcasts, comedy podcasts like comedian John Reap, or you know, you can also check that out for other podcasts and that also helps us because we're on that network. Yeah, absolutely. Good call on that. So please reach out to us and uh, thanks for listening today. Uh, as always, if you you have a good time listening to this and want to share it with others, we certainly do appreciate that as well, sharing it with other people and listeners. And we will look forward to speaking with everybody next time we get together to talk some new movies and upcoming movies. So for Foot Candle Films, thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.